I want to welcome you to our worship service again, and I want to welcome all of those who are worshiping with us online. I want to remind you that we've got a great opportunity to share the love of Jesus coming up on uh, Candy Rush, and so we still need a lot of your help. We need a lot of candy. Now, I've heard a rumor there's a video that's been going around this week about a couple pastors who were caught in the candy. I want you to know that Pastor George made me do it. (laughs) But this is a great opportunity for us to be able to witness to our community. All right, so we're in a series right now called Here's Your Sign, and we're studying Matthew chapter 24. Somebody have asked me, why are you doing Matthew 24? In fact, if you ask most preachers, it's one of the hardest chapters in the Bible to preach. And I will tell you because that's what God told me to do. So, as we go through the message today, I want to remind you that this is one of those chapters where there's a lot of deviation. There's a lot of people who go in different directions as far as beliefs. I want to talk about today about the fact that I want to remind you, let's focus on the things that unite us, and that is that Jesus is coming again. And I'm going to test that in you today, okay? Now, I want to begin by just sharing with you a statistic that has just come out recently. In the 1960s, in the United States, church attendance among Americans was at 73%. You know what it is today? 47%. I don't know about you, but I'm very much alarmed, and I'm very concerned, and I'll explain why in just a little bit. There was a young man who came up to his pastor, and he said, Pastor, can I see you right after service briefly? And he said, sure, of course you can. The young man came up to the wise old pastor, and he said to me, he said, Pastor, I really need for you to pray for me. He said, okay, what can I pray for you about? He said, I need you to pray for me that I will get patience. And the pastor said, that's a very good character trait to pray for. He said, I'd be glad to. And so he put his hand on the young man's shoulder and he prayed, dear heavenly father, thank you that this young man desires a very desirable character trait. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit, in fact. So, Lord, bless him with tribulation, hard times, pain, and suffering, so that he might get patience. Amen. The young man was like, are you crazy? I didn't ask for that. I asked for patience. And the old wise pastor quoted Romans 5, verse 3. Tribulation worketh patience. My friends, do you want patience? Do you want to be able to persevere? The only way to do that is through difficult times, through pain, and through suffering. You know how I know that? Because Jesus predicted it. I want to throw out something to you that I think as Christians we really need to be doing. 
I think we need to be praying less for lighter loads and more for stronger backs. I'm going to say that again. I think we need to be praying less for lighter loads and more for stronger backs. You see, the reason for that is, is that in Psalm 23, the Bible tells us, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? It does not say I walk and then I stop. No, it says I walk through that valley. It's a difficult valley because in that valley is where the predators wait. That's where they look to devour their sheep. But the Lord Jesus promises us that we, he will walk us through that valley. And what I want you to understand is that the reason is, is because God never in the Bible promises us that he's going to take us from tribulation. But you know what he does tell us? He tells us, I will give you strength to endure the tribulation. Case in point, look at this scripture. Jesus is praying in the garden. Remember this? And what does he pray for? My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. What does that mean? It means in this world, we're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulation. There's going to be difficult times. There's going to be hard times. We're going to have to suffer. But God will give us his strength and his peace to get us through. How many of you have ever been camping out in the woods? Raise your hand. What happens when you turn on the light? The bugs come, right? That's usually what happens when I do that. You turn a light on, what happens? The bugs come. Why? Because the bugs are attracted to the light. Here's what I learned about life. Whenever God works, Satan works. God is the light. Whenever the light shines, it attracts Satan and his bugs. In our world today, my friends, my dear friends in Christ, I see God's handprints all around us. So I should also expect to see the footprints of Satan also. You remember what happened in, on May 14, 1948? Israel became an independent state. It became a nation of its own. I told you a couple weeks ago that pay attention to what happens in Israel. Because what happens in Jerusalem matters. In 1948, Israel became a nation of its own. That's even after the incredible Holocaust that they went through by the Nazis. They almost wiped out the Jewish nation. And yet, this nation stood and survived. I don't know if you're aware of this, but not too long after, the nation of Israel was declared an independent state, there were five Arab countries that attacked Israel. That attack has been going on ever since 1948. You know who's leading the attack? The Palestinians. You know what the Palestinians are doing today? You see, they were upset with the fact of the land that Israel was granted. 
They believed that was unfair, so they attacked them. You know what those same Palestinians are doing today? They are rewriting the scripture. Did you know that? They are rewriting the Bible. You know what they're rewriting? The part about where Abraham blesses Isaac, and they're rewriting it to where Abraham blesses Ishmael, because Ishmael starts the Arab nations. For 2,000 years, history has wiped out and forgotten Israel. So my question for you this morning is this. Do you think it's possible for God to begin a nation in a day? Let's see what the Bible says. Who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? And the answer is yes. And it's the nation of Israel because it was God himself who gave it the borders. It matters what happens in Israel. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 22. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, today I pray that you would help our focus to be on you, not the things that are happening around us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So I want to remind you where Jesus and his disciples are again. Remember, they're on the top of the Mount of Olives. Jesus is teaching them. He's giving them the Olivet Discourse. And it's called that simply because it takes place on the top of the Mount of Olives, right? You remember that. And you remember how Jesus begins? They're located about 500 feet looking over the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus begins with a statement. You see, he knows that the disciples are very concerned because Jesus has told them that the temple that was before them, that represented their Jewish faith, the permanence of their Jewish faith, is going to be destroyed. And the disciples want to know when. They want to know the signs. They want to know what it is that they should be looking for. And do you remember what Jesus told them first? He said, don't be deceived. In other words, what Jesus is telling us as we progress down this line is this. Those people who pay attention and focus on the signs have a higher chance of being deceived. 
Okay, I want to say that again. If your focus is on the signs, you have a higher chance of being deceived. Well, let me go do something here for you for just a minute. I want to tell you about one of the signs that a lot of times, not too many people even recognize. But it goes with the statistic that I gave you from the very beginning. I'm not gonna, I didn't write, I didn't put everything on the, on the, on the um, slides this time because I wanted to give you these scriptures so that you could actually see me reading from a Bible once in a while, okay? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, okay, I'm beginning at verse 3. Listen very carefully to these words. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Now, in the King James Version, the way it speaks is like this. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until, now here's the answer to that, is that the many who are falling away. One of the signs of the end times is apostasy. What's apostasy? Apostasy is not something that, where people have not heard the gospel. Apostasy is people who have heard the gospel. They know the story of Jesus Christ and everything he's done, but they choose to rebel and fall away. That's one of the signs of the end times that those who believed will fall away. And it's happening right before our very eyes. Now, I want to remind you that Jesus tells us, he's telling us, you got to keep your eye on the ball. Here's what I mean. An aircraft carrier who is traveling through the ocean, when a jet fighter pilot is getting ready to land on this aircraft carrier, there's two things that he has to remember. Number one is, as soon as he hits the tarmac with his wheels, he has to turn on the afterburners. You know why? Just in case he misses the cable. Because if he misses the cable, he's got to have enough power to take off and come around. That's the first thing. But the second thing is the most important, and that's this. On the aircraft carrier, there are vertical lights and there are horizontal lights. Where those lights intersect, the pilot has to put his orange ball right in the center of that intersection. When he does that, the aircraft carrier calls to the pilot and he says to him, what? Call the ball. In other words, do you have your orange light in the center of the intersection of the, of the aircraft carrier? And when the pilot says, I've got the ball, then all he has to do from that point on is keep his eyes and keeping that orange ball in the center of those vertical and horizontal lines. That's what Jesus is telling us right now and what he's telling the disciples. He's saying, don't get caught looking at all of these other things. Keep your eye on me. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? But the question that I want to ask is that, so how are we supposed to do that? And you know what? The Bible tells us that. I want you to look at this in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. 
So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let's read these last words together. Let the reader understand. All right, now you had a practice time. Let's try it again. Ready? Let the reader understand. What in the world does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It's not Jesus who said these words. It's the writer of the gospel. And the writer of the gospel is simply saying this. For anybody who's reading this, you need to pay attention. You need to pay attention to what is being said. If I were to ask you or tell you that tonight your house is going to be robbed, what would you do? You would get ready, wouldn't you? I mean, you would make sure the doors on your, on your doors or the locks on your doors are, are working properly. You would also make sure that your windows are shut and locked. And you would make sure that your house is secure, right? I can tell you right now, I'm ready if someone tries to break in my house. I've got some things in different places that I will be able to protect my family. And I will be able to protect anyone who's in my house. Now, a stupid question would be, is that, so why would you do that ahead of time? And the answer, because I want to be ready. Why do I need to be ready? Because it's the goal of the thief to come by surprise, right? I've never known a thief to call a house and say, hey, I'm coming over to rob you, right? He always wants to catch us by surprise. This is the example that Jesus gives us as to what it is we're supposed to do in the end times. And this is so critical that we understand because it'll keep us from being deceived. He talks about this a little bit later in the book of Matthew. And I want, to re- I want you to listen to these words from Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is saying to us, he goes, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at any hour when you do not expect him. And then he tells us the example of what it is that we need to be doing to stay ready. And here it is. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. That's it. That's the secret. Do you understand what it is? Jesus is telling us, if you want to make sure you're ready when I come back, you know the signs, they're already happening, so now we need to be ready. How do we know if we're ready? Jesus tells us, learn the lesson of the faithful servant. Well, what's that? Here it is. You ready? Write this down. The faithful servant is always about his master's business, so that when the master comes, he's always doing the master's business. So the faithful servant doesn't have to worry. Yeah, that's the answer. You should go, now I know. But I want to also share with you the other side of this. 
Because Jesus tells us that no one knows the hour, but he tells us what's going to happen to the unfaithful servant. Listen to these. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. You see, Jesus is telling us, as he's telling the disciples, yes, there are signs, be aware of them, but that's not your focus. Your focus is being a faithful servant because then you don't have to worry about when the hour that the master comes because you'll always be doing the master's work. Now I know. Let's go on. In that passage that we just read, okay, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, there's a word there, the abomination of desolation. All right, now, I'm going to be really, really honest with you. It's here where we go in opposite directions. This is the place where everybody has their own interpretation, and a lot of different denominations believe different things, okay? I just want to remind you, this is not a heaven or hell issue. What matters is that we all can believe the same thing, which is Jesus is coming again. Can everybody say, I agree? agree. Very good. Now we can go on. Dear Lord, please help me. No. I want to explain to you about the abomination of desolation. This is a prophecy, and it's a prophecy that is given in the book of Daniel. It's given in three places in the book of Daniel. You can write these down, and maybe you can go back and look at them. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 11, and Daniel chapter 12. I'm going to read to you a little bit from these, because I want you to hear about what this is saying here. In chapter 9, it says, and the temple... He will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And then I want you to see this in chapter 12. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. And then finally in chapter 12, starting at verse 11, From that time, that day, the daily sacrifice is abolished, and the abomination that causes desolation is set up. There will be 1,290 days. So what's happening here? Well, I want you to know that what Daniel is talking about is a short-term prophecy. The abomination of desolation is that one day there is going to be someone, an evil king, an evil power, an evil leader, and he's going to come into the temple of God. He's going to go into the holy of holies. He's going to destroy everything. He's going to steal the gold. He's going to steal everything that's in the holy of holies. And then he's going to put an image on the altar, and he's going to demand that we worship that image. In other words, that's the abomination of desolation that's going to take place, all right? All right, now, Later on now, in 168 B.C., the first fulfillment of this takes place. Alexander the Great, he was a very powerful man in the world. When he died, they divided his kingdom into four parts. The individual who was the general or the leader over where the temple was located was a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. 
He believed he was God. Specifically, he thought he was Zeus. And he believed he deserved to be worshipped. In 168 BC, he went into Jerusalem and he overtook it. He killed 80,000 Jews. He took 40,000 Jews captive. He went into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. He desecrated it. He put an image of Zeus on it. He, he also, um, he, he took swine and he sacrificed them and he spread the blood over the sacrifices and he put a halt to the daily sacrifices. That's what Daniel was talking about. And that was the short-term fulfillment of that prophecy. Everyone with me so far? All right, here we go. But now Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he brings this up. And notice again what he says. So when you see standing in the holy place, Jesus is telling his disciples, when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. So what is Jesus telling us? There's also a long-term fulfillment of this prophecy. And so what Jesus is telling the disciples is that just like Antiochus Epiphanes did, there is going to be someone who is going to come, they're going to destroy Jerusalem and the temple, and they are going to set up in the Holy of Holies, once again, this image, and the sacrifices, the daily sacrifices, would be no more. All right, now... In A.D. 70, when General Titus came through, he attacked Israel, he attacked Jerusalem, and he killed 1.1 million Jews. It was so bad, Josephus tells us in his book and also in the Maccabeans, it tells us that bodies were piled up all over the place. He went into the Holy of Holies, And he desecrated it, and he too offered sacrifices on that altar. For those who are amillennialists, okay, that's their belief, that we are now in the tribulation, and God will take us, and he will strengthen us through the tribulation, okay? Now, there's another belief that also comes in here. And if you have a Baptist background, this is where you would be. You see, the problem that some people will say about the abomination of desolation is that Titus never really put on the altar an image and demanded it to be worshipped. Some will say, well, he did bring images that were on coins, and he had them, but they said, no, 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 that's not what the Bible says, okay? So this is now where everybody kind of goes a little bit of a different direction. What the belief is, is this now. The temple is destroyed. There is no temple. The belief is, is that once again, there is going to be someone else who's going to come who will look as a representative of Antiochus Epiphanes, and he will come into the temple, but first the temple will be rebuilt. 
And I will tell you right now, after being in Israel, it's already in place. The people have already got it ready. It's in place for them to rebuild the temple and already begin to put all of the different garnishments and all of the different sacrifices back in place. It just hasn't happened yet. The belief then is that one day there's an antichrist who will come. And that antichrist will be ushered in by a forerunner. This Antichrist will come and he will reign, and this will all happen after the rapture. Now, I'm not going to go into all of those different things, but you can see now where we're going in different directions. Here's the thing that I just want you to understand, and please hear my heart in this. This chapter has been interpreted by so many different people in so many different ways. But even of all of those who look at things a little bit different, all of them agree on one thing. And you know what that one thing is? That Jesus is coming again. That's where our focus needs to be. On that one thing. Now let me close by sharing with you what I mean by that. I'll go to one scripture verse here, it says... All right, for then there will be a great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. This is what is going to happen, and depending on what side you look of it, there are some who will say, okay, this did happen in AD 70 because actually after Titus came in, they cut it short five months and then government was restored. The other side believes that this is going to be happening when that great tribulation comes and God is going to spare his believers by intervening early, okay? All right, so here we are. We're back now to where we just were a little bit ago to where we all believe that Jesus is coming again and Jesus is telling us right now, and I believe he's telling us this is this, is don't lose your focus on the signs. See, I think Jesus knew Obviously, he knew that there were going to be different ways to interpret this. And what he's telling us is just don't confuse by keeping your focus on the signs. Here's a case in point. In the northeastern United States, whenever the miners would go into their mine, they always had to beware of the poisonous gases and the lack of oxygen because when it was snuffed out, they would all die immediately. So you know what they did? Every day when they would go down into the mines, they would take with them a canary in a small cage. If you don't believe me, check it out. They would take a canary in a small cage. You know why? Because all day while they were down in and amongst that cave or down in that mine, that canary would sing. As soon as the canary stopped singing because of a lack of oxygen, they knew it was time to get out fast. All of the workers could go about their work as long as they heard that canary when they didn't hear the canary anymore, out they went. And I think that's the lesson that God wants to teach us here today. Just keep your eyes and your ears focused on the one thing. I've told you, you don't know when, I, when, when I'm coming back. Only the Father knows that. 
and the Bible tells us it will happen when no one expects it. So, like the miner, stay focused on the one thing. And what's the one thing? Doing the work that God has called us to do. Let me show you what that looks like, okay? This is really cool, okay? This here is a church in Kenya. These are the people who are in that church worshiping God. You know who built that church? You did. In the last year, we built that chapel funding this group of people so that they could have a place where they could worship God. My friends, this is what I want to close with. This is what I want to close with, okay? That's the work that God wants to keep us focused on. And if we stay focused on furthering his kingdom, doing the work of the faithful servant, when Jesus comes again, it will be a glorious day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?